a Bulldog Radio podcast. The Ferris State Bulldogs have upset the nation's number two ranked team. Wide open, Taylor is going to take this one to the house. Touchdown, Bulldogs! Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome back to the most valuable sports podcast. Brandon Worth, Joe Nagy with you. And it's a great time here. The semester finally over. We've made it to winter break, Christmas, New Year's, and even better, Natty Champs to do so. Boy, what an absolute experience that was, Joe. Back to back down in Texas, an awesome time for us too, Brandon. I know, especially as fans going down there. I mean, we had a little bit of work to do, but it's kind of the first time that we've been able to experience a game kind of by itself, being able to just kind of go as fans, which was awesome, especially being able to watch a national championship go down. Uh, What a weekend it was, especially for the players and the fans. Uh, Cannot wait to see it. We do have a really cool interview as well coming for you guys, Brandon. Who is it? Yes, it is Jordan Jones. We brought him back here um, um, on the show, not necessarily with us in person. We weren't fortunate enough to get anybody in person, obviously, as football in the longest season of the fall. They, yeah, when well, it's a three and a half month season. You yeah, know what I mean? so we just we figured we could give them some R and R and coaches, obviously, out in recruiting. Um, but I was fortunate enough to get a chat with Jordan Jones on his overall thought of the season and the game itself because um, he had a really good perspective of it. And I mean, Joe, we watched that game. I mean, everybody dominated that Dude game, was a dog. but Jordan definitely showed out in that game as well as everybody else. So mm-hmm. we wanted to chat with him, especially for it being his final game uh, and just getting that overall experience. Yeah, for sure. So without further ado, we'll swing it to the interview. Yeah, just start right out of the gate. You guys came in the preseason number one ranked team. You successfully defended the title. What were some of the biggest things and those biggest obstacles you guys had overcome to get back to that point and win it? Uh, uh, some of the biggest obstacles were really just, uh, you know, uh, new dudes had to step into larger roles, you know. Like a guy like myself, you know, Caleb Murphy, our D-line, you know, we, we, we've been there before. We've done that. We've been playing ball for a minute, but we had – New offense alignment. Uh, we had a new DB, Justin Payout. He was a freshman. He came in. Uh, one of our senior DBs got hurt. He came in, filled that role, and played it just as perfect as the dude that was playing before him. As you know, Gulk, uh, Gulk did his thing with Malik out until Malik got back. Our old linemen, you know, they had to get better every game. And uh, that's exactly what they did. And, uh, it was, it was at a point where they didn't give up sacks for three games in the playoffs, you know. So those were some of the obstacles that do, new dudes are uh, trying to fit in. Um, our, our biggest strength was, honestly, is our defense. Our defense uh, dominant uh, from start to finish. Majority of every game besides that first TV game when we kind of let up at the end. Uh, then we got a great coaching staff, our defensive coaches, Coach Chester Smith, Coach Tony Anise, Coach Hodge. Uh, Coach Caserta, they did great with us all year. Uh, I can say this, there was never a game we went into that we were not prepared as a defense to just straight up dominate. And I have to give credit to the coaches. Uh, our offensive scout team, they did great all year. There was dudes that just got better during scout team and kept getting better, kept getting better to where they just knew what they had to do to help us win. So I can. I, those are those are some of our, the biggest things that we can attest on that just uh, kept us strong and ready to go. Absolutely. Then you guys used a dominant first half, similar to the 21 victory against Valdosta. What was the feeling like going into the locker room and having that 27 point lead once again on the biggest stage? 
Uh, we, uh, we, we, like T.A. said it in one of his interviews, he was just like, uh, we won another half of football, we're national champions. And honestly, we were very confident going into the locker room. Like, man, we're dominating. They can't run the ball on us. They can't throw the ball on us. They got the Harlan Hill winner. He's getting hit every play. So we, we, we were very confident. Uh, I was the night before, I was with Caleb uh, Murphy. And man, he was mad that he didn't get that award. I'm like, Murph, don't even worry about it, man. We gonna we gonna go hit this dog so many times. <laughs> make it seem like he he shouldn't even be on the field with us. And uh that's exactly what we did. I mean, you know, our defense lights out. So we we were confident on defense we were confident. Our offense was rolling. Special teams, they were kicking the ball. We had a couple good returns, you know, Marcus Taylor. He took one really far. Uh, so yeah, we were all rolling on three, on the three sides of, uh, football. So, and halftime, we were winning. We, we knew we were winning at halftime. We knew we were winning when we beat TV in, in, uh, the quarterfinals. Once we won that, we were like, man, we're about to steamroll these other two teams. And that's exactly what we did. For sure, and you mentioned the GV game and then, uh, like the 21 Valdosta Championship and well as West Florida in the semifinals. Those are the last three losses you guys have had in the last four years, and now you took all those teams out in a revenge style. What does that feel to those, get those wins for some of those guys, especially the seniors from those last year and two years ago, and able to put a W against those opponents? Yeah, yeah, that was so great. Uh, you know, I was a part of that 2019. I was a part of the 2018 loss against Dardosta, the 2019 loss against West Florida, as well as that first GV loss. And, you know, when when we lose, it's like we're not supposed to lose. So, And it's never that we lose. We, it's never that, like, when we lose, we got beat. It's, it's we beat ourselves. So we just knew for all three of those games, uh, when we got to play them again, is that uh, – only team that can beat us is us, and we were able to just uh, power through, power through those teams every time we saw them. When we saw when we saw Valdosta that second time in 21, we just knew we were going to steamroll them from the from the get go. Uh, just because we were we had that in our head already. Uh, West Florida this year, they gave us a good first half, but at the same time, we were beating ourselves uh, in the first half on the defense side of the ball. We had a penalty. Uh, we had a, a misplay on a, that big long touchdown, just a bad read, and then they had a three point field goal. And other than that, uh, we played a pretty well rounded defensive football game. And then lastly against GV, we don't like GV, so you know we had to. <laughs> we, we just had to. We were, and, and that game was a good game too. On defense, we, we were letting up some stuff early, but then we just at halftime. Oh man, that locker room at halftime, everybody was going crazy. I was going crazy. Everybody was going crazy. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And then I, that just, everybody just rose up and we're like, man, they're done scoring. So the only way they scored was on that tip interception and they got inside the one. And if you can't score from one yard out, you're a bad football program. So they got that extra lucky touchdown. But other than that, yeah, we, revenge is, revenge is, uh, sweet. It's, it's, it's very sweet, and I'm proud that we got all three of those games back, and I'm glad that we're back-to-back national champions. Absolutely. One more question for you, Jordan. Now, everybody, I'm sure, around the world of football, especially Division Two football, knows who Ferris State is, know they're back-to-back champions, but there's a question probably rang in any other coaches or programs' mind. How does, what does it take to be back-to-back champions? 
Yeah, what it takes is that everybody has to be bought in. So in uh, 2018, when we lost, uh, everybody was bought in that year. And, you know, we just, we just lost the game. In 2019, everybody was bought in that year. We just lost the game. And then uh, COVID year, you know, everybody was bought in in 2020, even during COVID. We were working out. They shut, they shut our weight room down. They shut everything down. And we had teammates that had a home with a nice-sized backyard. We took the weights from the weight room, put them in that backyard, and we were all bought in, working out every day until we were able to uh, work out in a weight room again. So everybody was bought in that year, which led to 2021. And we had these uh, seniors. They were bought in, and, and they kept everybody up. And so we won that way. And then 2022, we were like, okay. Uh, at first, it was a rocky start. I felt like everybody was bought in, but there were some people, you know, you know, you know, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of different characters and a lot of different people in one room. So we're like, man, we can, we can do it again, but we're going to have to fight. And, uh, Coach, Coach used to tell you that we just had to fight. And that, so we just kept fighting week in, week out, getting better, getting better. And, and by the time it was, it had, uh, we just played until a time where we were just like, man, nobody can stop us. We just we just kept playing until we felt like nobody can stop us and and that's what happened and and I feel like everybody on the team they love each other they care for each other people have different opinions on our team and people just respect it because they see the work that we all put in together and uh, yeah I mean that's it man Fair State has been a great program to me you know this is my last year I'm a senior and every year I just felt I'm like, I felt like we could win it all. It just happened to be these last two, but in 2018 and 2019, those teams might have been better than our the 2021 and 2022 teams that even won. But uh, yeah, I can't I can't complain. Being a back to back champ is nice. Uh, playing for Coach Nice and all the coaches is nice. All our teammates were great for my for my uh, time at Ferris. So that's what it's about. It's it's, a, it's about it's about the people within the organization. Especially the players and coaches, uh, those those were those were the most important. And if if the players and coaches are bought in together, it's, it's unbeatable. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. I appreciate the time, brother. Once again, congrats. I can't say it enough. Thank you, thank you, B. I, I appreciate you, man. Happy holidays to you too, man. Happy holidays. See ya. Once again, huge thanks for Jordan to coming back on the show, especially over phone call to be able to take some time, especially off the high of winning a national championship. We really appreciate the time that he took out of his day. Yeah, absolutely. And you really got to hear uh, Jordan as far as like his story coming really through Ferris over the time here. We had him on the show a couple years ago um, to chat about his journey into football. And that was a really cool conversation. And just seeing it come to fruition now as national champion, two-time national champions for a lot of these guys uh, is super cool. And really just the road to get there. I mean, going really through two heartbreaking losses in 18 and 19 right mm-hmm. into COVID and really just not having the season all together to put it uh, back and be able to really get that revenge mode for a lot of those guys. But really coming 2021, 2022, it was, it was a mission from the get-go. And you could just hear from what Jordan was saying, literally bringing weights out into the backyard to literally get to this point. It's all the work that they put in. They've made this process the best it could be for them to be successful. And now we're seeing it come to fruition and you just can't be happier for them uh, for all the work that they've put in. And they certainly have put together 
uh, two of the greatest teams we've seen in Division II history, honestly, for this back-to-back. It's the greatest margin that I found, and statistically, um, as far as final score-wise, it's the greatest uh, back-to-back spread of margin from one team winning back-to-back in Division II history. Mm-hmm. And almost, I believe, throughout all three divisions, there was, I think, a D3 team that uh, prevented that from being published in my article. But uh, I can't remember what the school was called. If it was like John Carroll or something. Yeah, some random. You don't some random, took yeah. my stat, John <laughs> Carroll. But no, uh, it, it was. It just shows you how dominant they were. I mean, we saw it, we saw it on Saturday. They, they yeah. flat out dominated that dudes, game. No question about it. Dudes were dogs. Big-time win. It was 41-14 to against Colorado Mines. Uh this game, especially a lot of people I saw, especially with, you know, pregame of the game on ESPN and a lot of people were talking about it. They thought it was going to be a shootout. You know, I did too. I thought it was going to be more of a 33-30 type of game where it was going to come down to the wire. But I think our defense really showed out as the best in all of college football here because when you come against a Colorado Mines team who is coming in as the highest scoring offense of D2 that year. I mean, you look at, I think they're averaging what, 45 points a game or something yeah, like that. It was up there for they, them. To, they for, look good. Uh-huh. And then for them to play Shepard team the week before, keep the train rolling. John Matoga coming off Harlan Hill award winner. We'll talk about that too. Brandon. Yeah, no, I know you, I know, to say about I know that. we both got something to say about that, but for us to shut down a Harlan Hill award winner and a, the highest scoring offense to just 24 total yards in the first half. You're kidding me. That's insane. And for us to really show out that well, and, and especially our defense to really come behind Caleb and stuff as he was runner up with that, I think that really showed our resilience, especially when you look at earlier in the year. I mean, snapped of what, 45-game winning streak when we lost to Grand Valley coming off that game. I think that was the turning point of the year because I think we just kind of expected to win at that point. I mean, when it was a close game against Saginaw Valley. You know, we didn't play super well against Michigan Tech the following week, but we still got the W, and then we were able to just keep on winning and keep on playing really solid. I mean, you look at the last six games of the year from Davenport up until West until West Florida, I think before the national championship margin of victories are pretty high. I'd say other than maybe two or three. So we really showed out, really showed up against this team. And I think especially against a, a minds team who was pretty hungry at the start. I think we really showed out why we're going to, why we are back to back and why we were so heavily favored in this game. Yeah. Especially in the postseason, a quote comes to mind from Santana Moss when he was at the university of Miami and those that have seen the U uh, the UDoc, the 30 for 30, probably know this quote pretty well. And if you don't, you probably know it already. Uh, big time players make big time plays in big time games. And that just speaks volumes. I think this team was built for big games. This yes. team is built for big games. And I think that is what really stood out throughout the whole playoffs. I'll say it again. This team is built for big games. And that's what you just saw over and over again, because you look at all these these big games they had down the stretch in the postseason, they had a really uh, I well I don't want to disrespect Downport, but it wasn't necessary. We had to we got to play them twice, obviously, so we had a better look at them the second time than the first time. And Davenport's a really good team, uh, but they just aren't at our caliber yet, right? No. So we took care of them in the first round. <clears throat> then we go to the second round against Pitt State, which. Should they be in our region? We'll chat oh, about that yeah, later well, yeah. as well in the episode. Of course, we'll get that full recap, but. They were a really good team, and it just came down to— I feel like if they beat us, they could have won the national championship. They could have—anybody in our region could have won the national championship, and especially the top three-seeded teams, us, GV, and Pittsburgh State, honestly. It's just thankful that it was— 25 30 mile an hour winds that day that pushed that kickoff course. Oh yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty wild, but I mean, you look at how they battled throughout that entire second half and being able to get that, I mean, Eddie Jewett 
ends up sending us through to the regional final to Allendale on that late field goal. But just making enough enough plays down the stretch offensively won us that game. The defense locked up against Pitt State when they had the momentum there early in the second half. They shut them down, and that wasn't necessarily it. Granted, it was from the scheme, but it was the plays, especially in Grand Valley game, being able to get that interception at late in the game. I mean, that it takes an individual effort from there, uh, force Intel to kick, pick that ball off because there's a whole crew of there uh, that could have had their hands on it. Sintel made the play. Obviously, uh, Malik ended up scoring that diving touchdown there in the second half. Uh, that was absolutely huge for the program, as Joe might mention, yes, uh, going on in there. I had to make sure I slipped that in there, of course, <laughs> but uh, might have had somebody pay me to do that way around the show, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, but no, it was you're really coming down to that West Florida game, too, where First half, it was deadlocked, but then the defense came out and they wreaked havoc on Pee Wee Jarrett in that backfield for the Argonauts. And that's really what got him through. That defensive line showed up. They made the big plays when they needed to most. And then obviously, I mean, what better situation to go into a national championship, but having that confidence that they can beat anybody because they had taken out everybody in their path. And then that just left Colorado Mines, which that ended up being the number two team in the nation. And we flat out dominated them 27, nothing at halftime pick six by Sydney McLeod to really kind of, that felt like I talked to a lot of people that watched that game. They're following that game. They said it was halftime and it was over. I know there's some, tell some people tell, I don't know. Like I keep telling this to people. I don't know what you do as a coach at halftime in a national championship game when you're down 27 and nothing. And you're getting flat out dominated. You can't move just, the football. Yeah. You're moving the football all over you. Which, granted, we didn't. I guess we wouldn't. I feel like we in the moved first, the ball. We, we didn't were, score. I, I, we moved the ball. I'd say. I mean, Marcus Taylor had that big we just run. Didn't, we didn't capitalize for TD. I, I would That's, say. Uh, yeah, we had to part. settle for. <clears throat> excuse me. We had to settle for field goals. But I mean, Marcus Taylor had a big run. Malik was kind of chucking around. It was a pretty surprising move. Yeah. He hit Des Libertas. Brady Rose he was Brody awesome. Rose. Brady Rose had that massive run where he's just scooting yeah. up all and both sides of the field. He could and still the play pass, quarterback. The 54 yard pass over the to I think that was what late in the second. Yeah, to the, CJ. Late in the yeah. Second to CJ. That was cool. that was also one where he ended up on a field goal. So that was kind of the only thing that you could really say was kind of the struggle point for us. But it's just settling for field when, goals. The thing is, is I was watching the replay back after we got back to our Airbnb down in Texas and we were at the second half and we scored that was it touchdown to when CJ had that kind of end around or the, yes, the option that he, yeah, this, the yeah, option, the option from Malik basically goes, side, yeah. yeah, anyways, scores that one. And then we pin mines back to their 15 on the kick. Cause they do a little fair catch or something like that. I forget what it was. And then it was funny cause the announcers were like, they need a miracle to do something right here to get back in this game. They need to be able to figure something out before halftime. As soon as that happens, off the hands of the receiver, falls right into Sydney's hands, and just he takes it to the corner of the end zone. That was, I mean, to be able to be in the stands for that, that was just the craziest amount of energy that I've ever seen. I knew at that point it was over because when you're Harlan Hill award winner who has, what, thrown two, three interceptions all year, has already chucked one for a pick six in this game, especially when you're down – what was it four or yeah, 14 to or 20 to zero at that point. And then you go and pick, throw a pick six. That's just tough. And you really can't come back from it too much, but it was just insane, especially to see how well our defense played again in, in this game, as well as our offense. I know a lot of people were kind of speculating how well they'd play because mine was a great offense too. They were coming off of eight sacks against Tyson Badgett, who is a guy who's, who's known to be able to get it away, scramble and kind of negate some of those, uh, negate some off from, excuse me. I'm talking way too fast for what I'm trying to say. We're so excited. Man. I know. Uh, Tyson Badgett is known for being able to kind of get out of the pocket a little bit and throw the ball away and kind of 
really get away from those sacks and stuff like that. He'll take the incomplete pass over the sack. Right. But for them to be able to get eight and then as well as a scoop and score to be able to do that, they were coming off a pretty big game. But for our offensive line to really shut that down and give Malik options to, you know, not only get the ball off quick, but to be able to scramble, get some of those big runs, that was huge for the program. Because yeah. you look at it, that was kind of the main game changer because you don't you really didn't see Malik too much kind of be able to get a lot of passes off in the start of the year. And then for us to really evolve and play really well after that to be able to get some of those offensive drives where we get some passes in there too. I think that's what was what was the big difference was we didn't really stay really one dimensional like we have been in the playoffs. Yeah, and you we didn't have 400 yards rushing like we did yeah. against Valdosta State. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, hey, if it if it if, it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There you go. But uh, I think when you looked at this game, I think the offensive line. I'm glad you pointed them out, Joe, because I think they deserved a lot of credit because this 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 was a part of the team that I think a lot of people had question marks with. They were yeah. they lost a lot of that leadership last year with Pasquale and Obed leaving. Obviously, they still had Sealer, but a lot of new guys in there uh, and a lot of younger guys as well. So you were looking at that offensive line and you'd seen them have a little bit of struggles uh, and especially against a Mines team that is actually ahead of us overall in sacks on the season, which is hard to believe that there was a team ahead of us in that category. We were second. Mines was first, but we put up six sacks defensively against them. But what was more important, we only gave up two. I think that was the biggest part of the game because mm-hmm. when you saw it, when Malik had time and that offense was able to get clean routes, were able to let plays develop, that's what got things open. And you really saw it uh, from the first drive even, being able to run the ball very well, which, I mean, Marcus Taylor deserves so much credit for what mm-hmm. he did over the last three games of the season playing as the primary running back for this team. And you just saw he looked like he had been there the whole year. He looked so comfortable back there running the football. And it's kind of a shame. I know they talked to him in the the post-game press conference when I was there. And I know somebody asked a question that was just kind of along the lines of like, Marcus, do you wish you would have played the whole year running back? And he's like, it's all Godspeed at the end of the day, but man, I would have loved to have a couple more. So and that just tells you how much he loved playing at that position. Mm-hmm. And he looked so good at it. I think he finished with what, 103 yards rushing as well as that. I think he had a 30 yard catch as well. Yeah. So about 130 right over the middle too. That's pretty solid. Yeah. So we had about 130 yards of total offense. I think Brady was about the same as well as his passing uh, play to CJ Jefferson as well. Uh, but I think you just look at a lot of the, these guys overall and just the amount of grit that they showed the ability to really put a lot of the naysayers to sleep a little bit. Because when you looked at this team on paper, defensively, they had gotten a lot better. Like defensively, <laughs> mm-hmm. were good last year. They played really well in the title game, but they were on a whole nother level this year. And our offense, like no disrespect, but it was, it was a little weaker. We heard a couple of the guys saying that on the show. I know like Malik uh, was saying that to us here earlier on the last couple episodes that they knew their offense wasn't necessarily that's good. I think Caleb said the same thing mm-hmm. uh, in the postgame press conference was each unit was so complimentary to each other. Like we look back at a lot of these games where you kind of looked back at the, the results earlier, Joe, in some of those notable games of some days the offense really just just wasn't finding a good rhythm. Pittsburgh State was probably the primary example, 17-14 game, but the defense stepped up in a huge way, right? And there was some games where the defense was a little bit flustered going on uh, in that first half against West Florida a little bit at the end there, which was a little uncharacteristic from them, mm-hmm. but them being able to really bounce back and the offense able to take over uh, was so huge going in, especially that early second half to set the tone and eventually win that game. But I think the biggest thing was defensively this year, that unit knew that the offense carried them a little bit last year, right? Now they returned the favor. Mm-hmm. They knew the offense was going to be a little weaker. 
They took the torch and they played defense first. Coach Nice said it multiple times at a lot of these press conferences was their offense relied on their defense. Not saying necessarily they were putting it all one dimension on their defense, but their defense was what helped them have confidence in their offense, especially with some of the troubles that they had earlier on this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you look at it, it's really weird too, because when you see a national championship team from one year and you say, wow, they lost all their offensive line. They lost their quarterback, who was their main offensive guy. And you lost two or three receivers. And then you lost two of your your star, your star first, first string and second string running backs. When you look at a team that's lost that much on a team that was so offense heavy last year. And I mean, we say so offense heavy. Our defense was still elite. But really, that's what kind of won us a lot of our games, especially when we had it was what, a 275 to like, 58 margin of victory in the postseason or something like that. Pretty insane. Yeah, it was a pretty insane one. You look at that, you say, there's no way these these teams are going to be able to win a national championship. It doesn't matter who it is. But to be able to flip the script and go to a defensive heavy team to where our defense was scoring touchdowns, our defense was holding teams. I mean, look at Colorado Mines. They had more yards lost than they had yards gained in the first half. Yeah. Isn't that insane? Yeah. And to be able to see how much the defense stepped up this year, as well as the offense being able to develop and just get better with each game. It was just a recipe for success for success. I will be honest with you. When we lost or when we were like close to Saginaw Valley, I was like, this is not a team that can win the national championship. Like we will make the the playoffs for sure, but we could go out first, second round easy. But I think when we lost to Grand Valley and the fire that set under so many guys and to be able to see, especially after that loss and to look at, the guys on the sideline, you knew that, okay, they are not losing. It doesn't matter if we play Grand Valley in the postseason. It doesn't matter who it is. We're going to roll through everybody. And, of course, it was close games and stuff like that. But to be able to show the resiliency and to be able to show out and say, like, yeah, GLIAC is the best conference for football right now. The, our region was the one. Whoever won this region was going to be able to make it out and win the national championship. To be able to do that against good teams like West Florida, Colorado Mines, Grand Valley State, Pitt State, you look at the final season for, or the final season rankings for the AFCA Coaches Bowl, Fair State number one. Who else do we beat? Colorado Mines was number two. We beat Grand Valley. They're number three. We beat West Florida. They're number four. We beat Pitt State. They're number five. You look at number 20 at Davenport, we beat them. So all, was it four, five, six out of, five out of six of the teams that we beat in the... Six out of the seven teams in Super Region 3 were in the top 10 in the country. In the That's insane. Because Northwest Missouri was eight and Ochita was 10. That's insane insanity we'll get to that redraft here in a minute here uh on our thoughts on that but uh some things like i think what you were mentioned joe i think was spot on of a lot of the perception of fans especially after the grand valley game was like this team's good but are they good enough to make it all the way again i don't you know saw, you it's saw you saw our gross. offensive line was struggling that yeah, game. yeah and really the game before that it's those dang cardinals they gave us fits every again year, man, every year Saginaw really put us in a tight spot and we were able to come back and win that game fortunately Despite all the wrenches they threw at us, Michigan Tech, we came out a little slow in that game, and we're really to put it all together there until the very end to sneak out of that one after the Grand Valley game. So it didn't look too good, and a lot of us were like, oh, it's not looking good. Then we beat Davenport. It's like, oh, yeah, we're still pretty good. Wayne State, yep, we cleaned house, and oh, we crushed Davenport. All right, here's a true test. Here come the gorillas. Now what are we going to do? Beat them. Okay rematch time you know the boys want this they went and got it and you're like okay here we go now we're back in where we want to be and then west florida and obviously mines took care of themselves but uh it was just a fantastic season all the way around uh, some stats to highlight here uh that I was looking over here as we were prepping for this episode the largest total yards uh gained in a game joe do you want to guess what game it was for us or for our opponents for us 
offensive. Like the most total offensive yards we had? Yeah. Which game was it? Say. It's probably one you're not thinking. Out of the whole season? Uh, Out of the whole season, yeah. I have a feeling it's Saginaw. No, it is Northern Michigan. You know what I mean? Really? Game wasn't like 450 or something like that. 609 yards of offense we had against the Wildcats in this. Oh yeah, because Carson had like five touchdowns. He had had like 250 in the first half. That's right. That is one of the craziest things that popped to my mind. Was like, holy cow, we put up 600 yards of offense, and that wicked over. And I was like, I gotta highlight that because, and I mean, we only like Waldorf. We only had 450. And we yeah. scored 69 points, but Northern, we had 609 yards, put up 56 points. So that was the highest outcome That's crazy, man. Uh, overall in total yards, passing yards on the season. Believe it or not, it was too much week time. one really? in Central Washington. We put up 351 yards well, passing yeah, that game. Yeah, yeah, because what happened was we had like an 80-yard pass right to start off the yes, game. Yes, you're right, to, to, Xavier, to Xavier Wade. Wade. That's correct. Isn't that cr- I feel like it's crazy because, I mean, Xavier Wade went out early in the season. Uh, Childress went out halfway through. Uh, and, like, we were missing a lot of our wide receivers. But to be able to win so many games with, to be honest, our fourth, fifth, sixth string wide receivers – it's crazy yeah. because you see guys who are a little bit inexperienced. You kind of saw that in some of the games where it was a third and long. We, were, we would, uh, I think it was against Davenport or Davenport. The f- no, it was against uh, West Florida. It was, I think it was Des Libertas. He did like a little like uh short eight yard slant or something like that. And he caught, he was supposed to go like past the first down, but he like cut too early and was like kind of running before the first down. He ended up catching it, but then it was like fourth and short. Yeah. So we had to punt it off. So it was just kind of like, it kind of happened a lot with all of our other receivers with just little mental mistakes like that. And I think that's the thing is once you have those guys who are younger and more inexperienced, you just need to get that. But especially with, for us being able to play those guys in those high pressure games, like playoffs against Pitt State, Grand Valley and all those, all those teams, it's very valuable because next year when you have those guys who are coming in their second year, I mean, Xavier's graduating. Childress is done, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, you have Tyrese Hunt Thompson who's moving into his junior, senior year. Of eligibility, I think, yeah. Of eligibility. I think he's pretty close to being, because he's in our grade for academic-wise. Yeah. So he's going to be done pretty soon. But you have a lot of these guys who came up clutch and be able to, you know, get a lot of playing time when they haven't really been able to, you know, in the preseason as well as early in the season anyways. You know, it could be scary for what we're going to be able to do, especially with a young offensive line. That's going to be scary. Defense, we're losing a lot of guys, but I think we'll really be able to step that up with our offensive ability. And also you have a lot of guys who can learn from um, these crazy players like Jordan, like Ian, like Caleb. So a lot of these, a lot of these things, a lot of people are going to be speculating of how we're going to be able to do next year, but I think we're going to be just okay. Or we're going to be okay in the right hands. I think we will. I think the depth on this team really showed throughout the entirety of the season that this program was built to have everybody ready at any given time and anybody to fill in for any given spot. Mm-hmm. I think that was huge. Uh, back to stats here. Highest rushing total, Joe. Where do you think this game came from? Offensively. Uh, it's got to be. This was a road game. I'll give you that. Feel... It's actually one of your favorite games. Oh, I might have gave too much. One oh, of no. my favorite games are the best ones. Well, it's not one of your was favorite. Was it Wayne State? Yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be a favorite video. I know where you're going with that. Yeah, 330 yards we put on the Warriors in that snow game, if you remember correctly. I believe we won that game 40 to 14. Best video that Will's produced. Yeah, so shout out to Will if you want to. Who knows, after this national championship, that's probably going to be insane too. I'm excited for this one. I'm excited for this one. Here's one that I think you'll probably know the answer to pretty quickly, but I want to see if you can have your memory like a steel trap. Yeah. Highest number of penalty yards obtained by the offense. Oh, I feel like I know which one it is. You know it's got to be either Grand Valley or Michigan Tech. Neither. It was what? Neither. Michigan Tech was second. Well, when was the first? 
Saginaw Valley on the road. Oh, I totally remember, forgot about remember that. Remember how many yeah, penalty yards we you had? We had like close to 200, didn't we? 203 penalty yards Jeez, in that game. Jeez, man. We had the ball for I remember that because they kept seconds. on, yeah, because they kept on like penalizing stupid stuff. There was like a. It was a very illegal, touchy game. Yeah. I want to say there the rest was, were dumb. Yeah. I'll be honest. The rest were stupid. I'm going to double check here just to be sure here. But if I remember correctly, there was a total number of, tw- yes, here it is. Ready for this? Brace yourself. Fuck your seatbelt. 27 combined penalties. Wait for it. 313 penalty yards. Well, I'll be honest. In that I was, game. I was watching that game and that was just a dumpster fire because there was a lot of calls where I was like, that makes no sense. And no, that was like, both, both ways. ways. Both ways. The refs, the refing was just so bad in general in that game. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, it was pretty insane here. Uh, I think defensively, the best effort that we had uh, against the run, ironically, it gave up four yards of rushing to uh, Mines in that first, uh, That I mean, really just, I mean, giving up four yards of rushing in the entire game is a feat by itself, but that was technically not the best we've done against the run all season. You want to guess what game that was, Joe? Uh, Defensively against the run. Maybe West Florida? No, it was a. I'll give you a hint. It was, was a, a regular season. Game? It was a regular season game, and it was at home. <clears throat> and it was in the stretch that we were talking about. Um, Where we were the, struggling. The three games of struggles. Yes. So there's you got one. You got three options. Finley. Here. No, it was not. It was Michigan Tech. You know ah. I mean? They had. You ready for this? Fourteen rush attempts for negative one point nine yards per carry. They finished with negative twenty six rushing yards in that game. We did, or they Tech did. did. Well, Tech did. We did defensively against. Dang, dude. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> dude, we, that's ridiculous. We held them. When they, put, when they ran the ball, they finished farther back than they started every time. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at in the championship game, mine, there was one where Mines got the ball on like R30 and gave it or on like R28 and had to give it away on the 30. Yeah. Or something because they tried to go for it on fourth down and they messed it up. Yeah, I, I mean, their Harlan Hill winner is just so good. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that here. <laughs> I know, Joe, you're just, just irking at it uh, to follow that. Uh, what do you think was the best defensive effort against total yards? Total yards? Yes. Uh, you might pick up on this I got to say, quick. I'm feeling it's Pitt State. It was not Pitt State. Dang, no, I'm terrible at this. No, uh, there was a lot of games that were pretty close. Pitt State I'm was... I'm trying to go off, like, points-wise. Was it Davenport the first, the second time? The second time we played Davenport, they had... It was a total number. I'm pulling up here. I wish they had the, the game log for defense on yeah. the statistic sheet rather than just offense. Uh, Davenport, that's a close guess. 131. I believe that's what the third it? lowest. The correct answer was Waldorf. Oh, which yeah. Which makes sense well, right I mean, now. Yeah, they only had three points. We gave up 93 yards of total offense, but a close second was Lenore Ryan. On the road in North Carolina against that ranked team. Five points. Five points and only 94 yards of offense in that game. Boy, that was something else. That was a tough one. That was a close one in the rushing one as well. We only held up the 16 yards rushing. So, I mean, that defense was just. just, Yeah, because I think Caleb Murphy had like five sacks that game or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Yeah. That was this year. This year in general was probably my favorite working for athletics. I feel like, especially for working football, because. You just saw incredible football all the time. Even when our offense was kind of sucking, you just saw very solid the whole way through, which was a lot of fun to be able to work and be able to see up in the press box. But 
Man, I'll tell you what, being able to be a fan down in Texas and just kind of experiencing that, especially like tailgating and having some fun. Shout out to the alumni club for like really sending a really cool atmosphere at the yeah, tailgate because that was cool. they had free food, they had like space heaters, they had TVs going on with college game day and stuff like that. It was super cool. You know, it was just a really awesome experience, especially as a fan wise. And to be able to go down to McKinney, I mean, that stadium is insane, especially for it being like a high school stadium down there. But I'll tell you what, it's, it's ridiculous to be able to see, uh, what goes down, what goes down there, especially with, you know, how big football is down in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of final stats here before we get into the Harlan Hill, as well as the, uh, the regional redrafts here. I thought this was very interesting. Did we score more points this year at home points per game or away? You think Joe, it was pretty I feel close. Like, let me do a quick little look. See, Neutral obviously was the highest, but that doesn't count. I feel like, does this count with playoffs? Or no playoffs. Yes, playoffs count. Well, definitely playoffs then. It's got to be. So you think we scored more well, at home or on the road? Know, because then you have the Waldorf game. This is this is crazy. tough because it's it's really is close. Is it really close? It's really close. I'm going to go home. No. Away. Home. Final answer? Home. Can you, can away. You away. 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 36.3 home. 34.8. So you're correct. Good job. Yay. More points scored on the road this season. The most uh, overall by month was September. 44 Dang. points per game in our three contests there, um, as well as obviously more wins and wins or more points and wins than losses. But uh, I thought one thing was also interesting. We had, I believe, a total of uh, 18 interceptions. 10 of them were at home. Uh, as opposed to six on the road and two neutral. So that was definitely a home sighting there. Um, and sacks, we actually had more sacks at home, uh, but I believe per average with six away games, 28 sacks, as well as eight and 32, we actually had more sacks per game on the road this year, believe it or not, than at home. So that's kind of an interesting stat too as well. Um, and we also had more sacks, um, I believe overall, um, in the month of November in those four games than we did in the five games of October, three in September, or three in December. So November, when we really needed it, defense Great really showed stuff, up man. and we took it from there. So those are some fun stats for you. I figured we could share those. Some player stats um, here before we get into the rest of it. Uh, Malik did very well this season, 114 of 183. That is a 62.3% completion percentage. Not bad. Just over 1,500 yards passing, <clears throat> six touchdowns, only three interceptions, a 139 efficiency rating um, as well. I believe we had a couple other guys with some uh, some nice campaigns as well, throwing the football. Golker had 701 yards. Evan Cummins, believe it or not, at 704 um, before he had uh, his injury early on in the season. Um, they combined for 10 touchdowns, six interceptions, about a 144-ish average uh, efficiency rating. So that was pretty cool. And as well, uh, Brady Rose, 251 uh, efficiency rating at the quarterback spot, one of two, 48 yards. So, hey, that's pretty good. Jeez. Uh, leading and rushing the season for the dogs was Carson Golker, believe it or not, 80, 882 sense. yards. He averaged 58.8 per game, 31 touchdowns he finished Can with. you believe that? 31 tutties. Can you believe, dude? We had how many games? Could you imagine? 15? 15. Dude, two a game? Two two a game. Could you imagine what that's like? Especially, he comes in, he's like, hey, you're going to be third in the depth chart. Of course, you might even be fourth on the depth chart because you got Malik, Evan, Jesse, Jesse, and him. Yeah. Right? He's, he comes into he's this still one. a redshirt freshman. Yeah, exactly. He's the last season That's out what of I'm all saying. Them. That's what I'm saying. You come into this season and, you, and you're expecting like, okay, I might be able to get in a few, like maybe two, three touchdowns to to keep it, you know, like I'm having a good time against some of these bad teams. You know, I'm not expecting getting a lot. Second game, what is it? Second game he came in 
or a third game or something like that. Something like that, yeah. He didn't even play the first game much because it was just Evan and uh, Malik. Yeah, I think first game he was really a prominent factor. I think I remember was Lenore Ryan. Yeah, and because and then after that, it's just like the guy was the goal on specials because last year that was Evan. But then especially when he got injured, it's like, yeah. hey, we're going to call you up. You're going to be our runner because you're a 6'3", 220-pound monster of a man. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you just go after it? And then the rest was history. I mean, to be able to do that in 14 games to get 31 touchdowns, that's insane. That is Especially insane. as a freshman who just comes in and just say, I'll just do my job, whatever's needed. Yeah. I because mean, most, I mean, yeah, you can make the argument like, well, most of them are two, three yard, four yard, less than five yard rushing touchdowns. Right. But he had probably five, six, seven that yeah. were like 15, 20 yards probably. Yeah. That's insane. It's just I just crazy couldn't, I just couldn't it. imagine that just being like, oh yeah. And then at the end of the year, getting a three piece, getting a, uh, a hat trick in the national championship game. Yeah. Could you imagine that? I mean, I thought Vanderlaan was a touchdown machine and Golker broke his mark, I believe by six. So that's crazy. Yeah. That's pretty insane. He um, has to set a record for rushing touchdowns by a quarterback. Indeed. I'm, I think we'll look that up. No, I think that is correct. I think that was rushing the, touchdown record. D to football. It'd be very interesting to see what that comes up with. Oh, we got some, we got the NCAA.org here. National Collegiate something or other. That is a one heck of a document. I'm sorry for all those that aren't watching the stream that's not being produced. Okay, this, this is going to be, this is 72 pages. I don't know if we'll find this. Right We're now. just going to, individual records, number two. Yep, so you go to page two. All right, individual, most plays by Fred. Most uh, yards gained. Most yards gained. Uh, I need to go down a farther. Where is this at? There is a really well-made document. I just can't see Most it. Most rushes so by quarterback was Jason, Jason Vanderlaan. Vanderlaan he got 1,010. In his career, in which his career. Carson had 187 uh, overall throughout this season. So if he... And I think that means really, yards. Right? I don't half, know. I think, I mean... With less than half of a snap share... In yeah. comparison, I mean, that could be up to 350. Is that just over? I'm trying to look at the year thing. I'm not trying to look at the overall. Yeah, you're looking at single season. While you find that, I'll go oh, through yeah, the you rest go, of You go crazy quick. here. Uh, Marcus Taylor, 116 carries, uh, 773 yards, three touchdowns for him. CJ Jefferson and 380 yards on the ground. Malik had 209. James Kobe uh, had 192 as well as yep. uh, Evan Gold. Cummins with 178. Zamir Knight with 166. And Brady Rose had 115 uh, for the notable as well as Mario Bryant had 104. Golker led it all this year yep, with 31. He, he was four more than the second guy. As a freshman, that's crazy. The next one, two, three, four, five, six seniors players were seniors and juniors. Yikes. The next freshman on the list was all the way down at tied for 11, Chavon Wright of Charleston. And, and he, he only had 17. 17. <laughs> Could you double them? That? That's insane, dude. That's crazy bonkers there. Now, yeah, you can that see is wild. a couple of those notable names on there. TJ Cole, dominant running back for Ochita Baptist. He was one of the reasons that offense was so lethal. He only had 26. Yeah. Sheesh. I mean, this guy only played 11 games, but I mean, I think that's because they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. I, th- I mean, he probably could add more. I mean, that's crazy. Carson Goldcrow had a fantastic year, and that having that security... Uh, on the goal line, certainly brought a lot of it. Uh, receiving for the dogs, the leader in yards this year was a really close one between 
uh, Tyrese and CJ, it was Hunt Thompson with 714 yards, four touchdowns on 39 catches. Jefferson, 710 yards, 58 catches for two TDs. Uh, Marcus Taylor added 430, as well as Brady Rose with 293. Brandon Childers with 281, as well as 195 from Des Libertas, 184 from Mario Bryan, 169 in the two games for Xavier Wade, uh, leading out the receiving crew for the Bulldogs. Leading tight end was Mason Pline. We didn't actually use our tight ends that much this year. No. He did have six yards on two catches but uh, certainly notable for the blocking that they had up front for the offensive line. I think certainly uh, is worth it. Eddie Jewett, you know he can do it. He Steady was Eddie. absolutely electric this year. 8 of 13 on field goal attempts. It might not seem as good, but for granted, a couple of those were in the, literally some of the worst weather games you've ever seen. Um, he was 62 of 66 on extra points. 94%, 86 points on the season. That's pretty darn impressive, uh, if you ask me as well. We only had 53 punts this year. Um, from Quentin Beck, only 63 total. Our opponents had 107 punts. So doubling up defensively to force more punts than you have by two. That's pretty impressive. So yeah, almost 2000 yards as well from Quentin Beck punting the football. That's crazy. And only 53. I mean, I'm not a math major. That's almost man. 40 yards a punt. That's, that's pretty impressive. solid. It's pretty solid. Uh, return touchdowns overall on the season. Actually didn't have any, unfortunately. We had uh, one, but he got called back. That is true. Deion Small. Uh, he led us with the returns, 504 yards on returns, um, as well as I believe we also had CJ Jefferson that took a couple returns. Marcus had a couple returns as well. Uh, and defensively, this is where the, the numbers get really fun here. Uh, the leaders overall, I believe, um, defensively, uh, as I pull up the, the sheet here real quick, just to make sure, total tackles uh, on the season was Caleb Murphy, 25 and a half sacks. Let me just take a second to digest that. 25 and 25 and a half sacks in 14 games, 25 and a half in 15 games. Insane. He also had three forced fumbles as well as a pass breakup and 42 tackles solo as well as 51 assists. Uh, Sintel had 76 uh, total tackles as well as Connor near with 66 major Denman with 50 Justin payout with 47 Nick Thomas, 30, Nine as well as 38 from Ian Hall, 37 from Jordan Jones, Sidney McLeod with 36, O'Leary Oladipo with 33, Javon Bayless with 33 to lead the dogs, um, as well as sack leaders. We mentioned Murph, uh, Larey, nine and a half from him, eight from Ian Hall, six and a half there from Jordan Jones, um, as well as tackles for loss. It was Murph with 39 tackles for <laughs> loss. Are you kidding me? That guy was in the backfield and brought your running back or quarterback down for negative yardage almost three times a game. That's very scary wild, man yikes uh Larray had 14 and a half jordan jones 12 and a half as well as ian hall with 11 and a half connor near with 10 and a half uh, i mean that's just absolutely insane what those guys did up front five interceptions led the year vincent cooley i mean he oh, was yeah, fantastic three? there he had five interceptions no, five oh, uh, i thought you said five total i was like that's me oh no sense. no five total uh, on the entire season. Jacarvis Alexander had three, as well as Cindy McLeod with three. Sintel had two. Uh, Bayless, Deadman, payout. Jamil Thomas, four, got injured, as well as uh, McCormick all had one. Uh, and fumble recoveries. Uh, a lot of guys with one. Nobody with multiple here. Childress, actually, ironically. Brandon Childress had a fumble recovery. I thought that was funny. Really? Travis Miracle had one, uh, as well as Tavon Hughes, Nick Thomas, uh, Connor Near, Larry Oladipo, Javon Bayless, Vincent Cooley. Forced fumbles. Uh, Caleb Murphy had three. 
uh, as well as I'm almost everybody on that list also had a forced fumble um, outside of Childress. And I believe you can substitute him for Jordan Jones. That was the only change between those two. So I thought that was pretty cool. Leader in pass breakups. 10 was Vincent Cooley, Jacarvis Alexander with nine, as well as Sidney McLeod with nine, Sintel with six, Justin Payout with five, as well as Jamil Thomas with five before he went down. Aid Kilpatrick also added four um, from there. So, I mean, that was really cool uh, to see all the way around. Uh, just a notable one here before we go. Mason Pline, as well as uh, Dawson Booker, Cody Savo, Jordan Jones all had a block, a block field goal or a block punt. So I thought that was really cool to mention because special teams, of course, Joe, certainly matters. So yes, sir. anyway, let's get right to it here. Why did they screw up Joe by giving you what, Mr. Matoka the Harlan what is, Hill? What more does, what more do you have to do as a defensive player to be able to win the Harlan Hill? Cause I mean, they got here's the thing about it. I am a big proponent of not giving out those big rewards until the end of the season, you know, because you look at Matoka, if you, they gave it to him after the game. If you look at this game, you would have just given it to Caleb Murphy because for that, for, especially when you look at who mines played throughout the season and who we had to play throughout the season, the GLIAC was no doubt the best conference for college football on the D2 level. Most of the time in the year, we had at least three or four, three or four teams ranked. I mean, it was always us in Grand Valley. You had Davenport scooting in there as well as uh, who was the fourth one for a hot sec. Uh, there's a fourth one. I know that. Wait, which ones did you just mention? It was Davenport, Grand Valley, and us who were... And then Saginaw, Saginaw was also ranked. Yeah. And then when you look at what he was able to do against those teams... Was lights out. Matoka, though, Colorado School Mines, I think they only played three or four ranked teams, five ranked, three, it was like three or four. And against those ranked teams, they didn't play super good. You played Angelo State at the start of the year. You played Grand Valley State at the start of the year. Didn't have the greatest games. And then you come back, you play a lot of bad teams after that. You go into it. I mean, you play CSU Pueblo, you get a good good game. But when you play against a lot of those ranked teams, you don't have a whole lot of big wins, especially, I mean, later on in the year when they got to the, uh, kind of when they, got to the spot where they were able to really get a groove in. They were really starting to put some points on the board. But when you look at the teams that we beat and how well uh, Caleb Murphy played against those teams like Grand Valley, uh, as well as, you know, later on the season, they kind of played some teams where uh, I feel like you could have really saw some uh, similarities between the two. I feel like there was no doubt where you had to give it to Caleb Murphy, because if you look at it, the guy had 25 and a half sacks against uh, most of the time getting double teamed. And you look at that compared to Matoka. I mean, you play a team like Shepard who has a terrible defense in the semifinal or in the uh, um, playoff finals. And then you play Angelo state who has a good defense, but they're nowhere near as good as our decent defensive front. And then you play Minnesota state who's known for their, for their offense. I mean, you look at it as a 48, 45 was a shootout. You don't play against the best defenses in the country. Like you have been able to against us as well as you don't play against, against the, uh, he had not played against the best defensive line. Caleb Murphy had to play against some of the best offensive lines in the country. You know what I'm saying? So that's the only thing that I have a problem with. Yeah. I think when you look at it, this is kind of my perspective here, obviously as us Ferris fans, we might seem a little biased. A little biased here, I'm going to try to not no. be biased in this situation. John Matoka was a fantastic quarterback. I mean, he finished the year almost 300 average yards per game, 52 touchdowns, absolutely an incredible mark, 178 rating. He was he was fantastic. Dyson Badgett was also very good. Uh, he was definitely probably second in the category, especially at quarterback. I think they'd probably put him third overall in that uh, overall voting just based on the look like how they went about it. But there was a couple of games here. Uh, where he was really kind of struggling in some of these big games. Angelo State the first time, he went 13-26, to 26, only 167 yards. He was struggling uh, to throw the football a little bit. 
Uh, if we can, as mentioned, Joe, they really played a couple of those okay teams along the way. I mean, they bumped into CSU Pueblo. He had a really good game there. He played really well down the stretch. And I think that's what really got him the award was the performance he had in the playoffs when they played Pueblo. He had four touchdowns when they played Minnesota State. Four touchdowns, 307 yards. Angelo State didn't have as many yards, but he still had four touchdowns. And then Shepard, he blows up. As is a phenomenal game, 20 to 34, 371, five touchdowns. He was incredible. So I think the the committee looked at those last couple of games. And the reason why I think that was wrong was because when you watched film and you watched the game, Murph didn't have necessarily the same amount of stats. And he didn't have that statistical impact that for say John Matoka had, obviously everything he does is recorded as a quarterback. That's just the nature of what football is right now. Murph impact set up everybody else around him because he was that good because they had to double and triple team him. I'm not joking. You can go back and watch the film. There were plays. Watch his minds game. He had, had, he had triple team like teams. 10 times. Yeah, it was absolutely insane. And I think the biggest thing was he was dropping back to coverage as well. So not necessarily, that's not going to be the the most direct way to get you stats outside of tackles in that situation, which by the way, if you run at Caleb Murphy, uh, no, you're turning back and you're running the other way, first of all. <laughs> uh, but second of all, in those situations, he was taking away uh, the quarterback run, which set up them to throw the football, Mines did. And have in mind, Matoka wasn't that great completion-wise against Ferris He only had 22 of 38 completions, so just under, just over 50% there, uh, as well as two interceptions. So you look at that in that scenario, which, by the way, I mean, he absolutely had a phenomenal game, uh, in, especially in that West Florida game, getting that forced fumble later in the game off a double team. But you look at where he was in comparison to all the years past when you had a defensive player in consideration. He was a next level above it. It wasn't close. He had the most sacks out of anybody ever in football. NCAA record of all levels. He broke Terrell Suggs' record. Yeah, that guy was in the NFL. You know Terrell Suggs from, of course, the Baltimore Ravens wreaking havoc with Ray Lewis. That kind of Terrell Suggs. And he moved that mark up even higher. And they, it's just, I don't know. I felt really bad for him because the fact is, like, that's what he said in the press conference because uh, somebody asked the question in that room uh, about how did you feel when they gave it to Matoka. He said, well, Matoka's a great quarterback and all, but... I just don't know what else I could have did. Like if I was going to win the award, I don't know what else. Do you want 30 sacks? Do you want more interceptions and fumbles? I don't know because yeah. I put together the best campaign I thought I possibly could have. By the way, that guy still had five, I believe five or six sacks in a game. I believe if I remember correctly. So I just don't know what else of a resume he could have put together because for granted, he had to play some of those games in limited statistical like prominence because they were having to put so much attention on him. If he was the best player, that's what's got to be in consideration rather than just statistics. That's just my point of view. Because when you look at statistics, that's where it looked like they gave the edge to Matoka, especially at the end of the year. But I think the committee might have forgot that, you know, he wasn't necessarily as involved because obviously they had to put every single person in front of him that they possibly could. Yeah. I think the one problem too is it's just become such, even with just the Heisman in general and like Harlan Hill, it's become such a quarterback heavy award Agreed. that That's you the know, Heisman too. you can't that yeah that that you can't really make a case for running backs, defensive players, wide receivers unless they have the greatest season ever had. You know, quarterbacks, you know, they can have like a they can have a great. I mean, Matoka, I mean, he led the 
led the nation with passing yards, and he was a great quarterback. But when you look at Tyson Badgett, he's the best quarterback that's ever played D2 football. You know, the guy turned down D1 offers to stay at the D2 level because he was just for the program at Shepard. But when you look at that, he didn't uh, – Matoka didn't have the best quarterback performance of a quarterback throughout his whole career or just this season. That belonged to Badgett. You only give it to him because he beat Badgett and that team in the, in the semifinal. That's why if you just waited until after this game and you realize that, okay, he's actually playing a legit defense for the first time in probably the whole season that, like – is good on all facets. You have the best secondary. You have the best defensive line. You have incredible linebackers. At that point, and like you said, Brandon, Caleb is so good that they had to let Jordan Jones just basically go one-on-one. That's yeah. a problem. They had to let Ian Hall go one-on-one. That's a problem. Lorraine Lodipo, problem. Connor Neer, problem. So it's like when you have a guy as influential to a defensive success as Caleb Murphy, you can't say that like, oh, we're just going to go off statistics. You can't say that, oh, yeah, he won because he had a better performance. That's just statistics-wise. If you look at every single game that was played, if you look at Northern, Grand Valley, if you look at Davenport, if you look at West Florida, if you look at Michigan Tech, all those games, he was getting double, triple team the whole time. And you know what that left for? Everybody else to be successful. So, yeah, he might have not gotten a sack in every game or he might not have gotten multiple. But what you can look at, is how many does everybody else get when he has a bad game in quotation marks statistics wise? Because it's because stati- when you look at a game, he has never had a bad game. If you look at it statistically, yeah, he might not have gotten a sack, but the guy just has so much influence on the defense and how well that they can play, especially for offensive lines and the game plan. When you have offenses that are specifically saying double team or triple team this guy specifically not the D1 transfer from Illinois not the guy not the guy who's Jordan Jones who's 6 foot 290 pounds of full muscle not Connor Neer who's a workhorse in the backfield of the defensive backfield that's just insane to me how you can say yeah let's give it to this kid who's a 5'10 quarterback who's probably not even going to make it to the next level yeah and i think one other thing that the Flute committee Chris. what happened with the committee and i hate to say it this way because i don't really know what else the way to say it we kind of screwed ourselves for Caleb Murphy. You know why? Our defense was too good. Yeah. Everybody in our defense was so good. They were like, oh, because of course, when you have the situation, when you're putting I guarantee in, nobody watched more games than like two. Yeah. When you're looking at an MVP, right? Most valuable player. Does most valuable player say the best player overall out of everybody? Or is it the player that is the most valuable that if you took them away, that that team wouldn't be where they're at right now? That seems like what they almost did with Murph because that defense was so darn good. As you mentioned, all those names and we didn't even bring up the secondary, which yeah. uh, by the way is also Sydney nasty. McLeod problem. Jarvis. Um, yeah. Jar- yeah. Lots of problems. Lots, yeah, of, problems. lots of problems all lots over problems the place, all over the place where John Matoka, I think has the better impact overall on that offense, because if they don't have John Matoka, their offense isn't as lethal. And I think that also came into, yeah. con- into well, also, consideration I mean, as well. So that kind of hurt us a little that's bit. That's the same thing, though, because, I mean, if you just took Caleb Murphy out, then they would have to – it would kind of be – you wouldn't see the same thing because then the double and triple teams that were left on – not saying that, like, all of our other guys would just struggle because we'd still be able to get through and get sacks, but right. I feel like our defensive uh, impact of forcing teams to go three and out – you look at Colorado Mines, the first five possessions, they went three and out. Yeah, They didn't have a first down till the second half. Right. Which is crazy, crazy. And if you look at if you look at that if you took 
uh, Caleb Murphy way. We still would have had the defensive powerhouse that we had, yeah. but you probably would have seen them go, get a couple more first downs and flirt a little bit more of the more end yards, zone than yeah. they did. But yeah, like you said, Brandon, if with Caleb Murphy's ability on defense and how much offenses had to change their schemes to basically stop him from going, then it let a lot more area for all the other guys on defense to really flourish and have great seasons. And that's the only reason I think why they really just were like, yeah, you're not going to get the Harlan Hill because the impact that you have is a, is a lot less in quotations than John Matokas, which is little 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 hogwash, if you ask me. Yeah, you know what he said, though. Two of these is much better than yeah. one of those trophies. So he, he can keep I'll, the Harlan I'll Hill. Give, I'll give him that, chance. especially with the championship ring. And I think I think it got an even better honor winning the Ted Hendricks Award uh, just recently this week as the nation's top defensive end, regardless of level. Yes, he beat Division One guys. This was an award that was won by major names. Aiden Hutchinson for all those Michigan fans. He was the uh, the winner from last year, uh, as well as some other guys on the list that uh, received this award. I mean, we. Terrell Suggs, as we mentioned earlier, Lamar Woodley, vintage Michigan football fans, uh, Jadavian Clowney. Oh, you probably know who oh, that is. Yeah. Chase Young. Oh, you might know who that is. Murph was in that conversation. That's how good he was. And I think that's really what comes to comes to light, especially he's a first team All-American as well. Zach Sealer, second team All-American. So congrats to him as well. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more awards coming out as well mm-hmm. uh, as the season concludes. But finishing out this Natty Center episode. Uh, there's a lot of controversy going on around how the bracket was put together. I know Coach Anise brought this up in many different platforms. There might need to be a realignment soon, so we figured we could uh, talk about the show, especially with the future of this team. Obviously going to be reloading, getting a lot of prominent players back um, for next season. But I think with next season, I think there's got to be a different road uh, for some of these teams to get there. And I'm not trying to say we're making our road easier, but some of these teams, frankly, that we played in region three were title contender teams and deserved to have a chance. Um, but it just geographically, some of it just doesn't make sense, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. I th- we talked about this a few episodes ago, kind of when it ca- when the whole bracket came out and we were kind of looking through just on both sides of everywhere. Our bracket, when you look at it, it feels like it got gerrymandered or something because a lot of the teams that are in this bracket are not close to each other and should be playing other teams and other teams in other sides of the bracket should be playing us because they're closer in the region. And when you look at the word region, I mean, you should be playing teams that are in a close uh, vicinity to you. I mean, if you look at us, I mean, we talked about this already, like I said, but you have Northwest Missouri state, Washtenaw Baptist, who's also in Missouri. No, right? Arkansas, Arkansas. And you have Pitt state who is in, Kansas. The only ones who make sense to be in this region right now are us, Grand Valley, UND, and Davenport. And that leaves three teams to be able to kind of move around. I agree. If you look at what what is it, Super Region 2? With uh, I think it's the four. one that Mines came out of. Four. Mines had to play Minnesota State. Of course, they hosted, so it was whatever. But they had to play Minnesota State, who's obviously from, from Minnesota. They had Bemidji State, who's also from Minnesota. Winona State, who's from Minnesota. That's a five state or a three or four state gap that you have to travel just in playoffs. You don't even have to do that for uh, the semifinals or the championship game. If you just moved Bemidji, Winona, and Minnesota State up to our region and swapped that out with Pitt State, Northwest Missouri, and Washtenaw Baptist, that would make more sense. And then you look over to the Super Region 2, I think this is, or Super Region 1. I think I can't two. tell. They don't yeah. got labels on this. So yeah, I'm I think that of, would be two. With it's a shot in the dark. West Florida. That's one West Florida came out. This of. one kind of makes sense because it's more of like the south, or the southeast teams. But you still have teams that are in, you know, Mississippi, Arkansas, and stuff like that who could really move around. 
So it begs a question, how would you kind of change this to be able to make it so it's a lot more, it makes a lot more sense when it comes to traveling for a lot of these teams because the only one that really makes sense is the one that Shepard came out of. Yeah. They the didn't have to travel very region far. One, yeah, the Northeast, basically. I mean, luckily for us, we were higher ranked, so we didn't have to travel that far either. I mean, the only time we had to travel was an hour south of Grand Valley. But Pitt State, you're on a 14-hour bus ride to go play a game. That's tough. You have Northwest Missouri State who had to travel all the way up to Allendale. That's a tough drive to make. So if you really want to have some really solid football and really good competition, I feel like you got to really make a take a look at these regions and make a big change. Yeah, I think when you look at it, the first thing that comes to mind an idea of changes, like Joe just mentioned, it would be to flip Pittsburgh State with Ochita Baptist and Northwest Missouri State down into Region 4 and up in, division, in Region 3 would be Bemidji, uh, Winona, as well as Minnesota State. That one would make sense, right? I think that would counterbalance it a little bit. It might not be perfect, but I think it would be at least a little bit better. Uh, I'm, I mean, we could compare it with rankings if we wanted to as well, uh, but I think it would definitely even it out, at least just a little bit. Um, I think one, another one, too, is you mentioned uh, having a word. I think Ochita is like the a little bit of the probably the most outlier out of this because I mean it's not necessarily like they're in Arkansas like the other yeah. teams are still in the Midwest in Missouri as well uh, so you kind of have that man you can make that argument a little bit Arkansas uh, is out of the way like uh, I mean, Arkansas yeah, I know the, I know they're in the upper I mean we portion. made we made the drive to Little Rock for to go to Texas yeah that was did, what yeah. twelve hours ago Something to get like that, there yeah. 1213. Yeah. Like it's in Arkansas. I I know it's like up in that north and that area, but I, I you still have these other teams that are down in region four, I believe it is, um, uh, that are playing against Angelo. They're playing against these teams in the regular season. So why are they not in that in that situation playing those teams again in the postseason? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think like there would be a chance to put them down there as well, uh, as maybe move a couple other teams around potentially. Uh, they could even slide over to region two. That might be a little bit too far for them. But uh, I think the, the, the that three-way swap, I think, makes the most sense because I think that'll make it. I think it'll still make the it'll make region four maybe a little bit tougher than three. But that's just based on this one year, right? Minnesota has always been in that conversation. They were in the national semifinals in 19 when West Florida beat them after we lost them in the semis. So they're always a team that's in conversation. Northwest Missouri State is one of the most stout programs in division two. They got the most championships for a reason. They're always in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then you got another team, of course, with Pittsburgh State, MIAA, always a powerhouse. Yeah, there. they're what, 23 time conference champions, I mean, four or five time national champions. Yeah, so I mean, they're always, they're the longest tenure program in Division II altogether. So they've Grand got a Valley, lot of great four time, cha- four time champions in the early 2000s. Yeah, so I think there's still, I think there's still enough. Bemidji's always a quality program. Minnesota State's always been good. Um, Minnesota so, State was at the national championship to, Two championships ago. Yeah. Uh, Winona. Yeah. Winona was kind of the uh, the outlier in this situation just because they weren't really ranked in that situation. Yeah. They just got uh, in because of the bid. So, yeah. When you look at strict rankings, you're swapping a three as well as a four and probably the the unseeded uh, team out of there. I know they were ranked, I think, like three, near well, the, be the same thing. Three, four, and unseeded. 25. Yeah. So, it would be three, four, and unseeded again. But I think when you, if you had those three teams play against each other, I would almost bet on our region teams over oh, those well, yeah. in all three of those games. Well, That's think, where it looks crazy. But at the end of the day, it it's just like, do you want to have six out of the 10 teams in one region again? If you do, okay, fine. But just know you know, we're not going to know what region the champion's going to come out of every it's year. Com- yeah. It's also completely unfair to the teams in that region. Because it's like you're playing the hardest games right off the bat. You're playing a basically a championship game 
in round two. In round two. Right. This was a champ. Ferris versus Pitt State was a championship game. Caliber Grand game. Valley yes. versus Northwest Missouri State. Low scoring championship caliber game. Those two teams. Grand Valley good. was a team who was putting up 50 points a game for the past like five weeks before that game. To be able to held the 13 against the Northwest Missouri team who is unranked going in or unranked in the playoffs. I think they were what, four, 10? Oh, they were in the they top were, 10. They were lower than that. I think. Lower than that? They finished at 10th, but I think yeah. in the regular polls, they were like somewhere around like. Other than that, championship, championship level game. Right, Rush first Grand Valley, championship level game. Indiana versus Shepard in their regional final, 48 13 Shepard. You look at Colorado School of Mines, 42 24 over Angelo State. For that, was a, that was a championship caliber game. It I was, but kind of not. When I you mean, compare if them, if you compare them, no. If you compare it, compare it to what we had to go through, no. West Florida versus Wingate. It was a Cinderella, but also right, yeah. not a championship level. No, but would you would you take Benedict in that situation over any of our top three seeds? Absolutely not. No, I wouldn't either. Absolutely not. The polls can take care of that by themselves. And then so you so. really didn't see super great football. I mean, after that, you didn't really see super great football, I feel like, from yeah. like a good, good, solid, hard-nosed game of football after that un- until you got out of our thing. So I think it just begs the question, how are you going to do it? Are you going to do it where it's just a cold cut 1-24 to and re the whole thing. And just re-see the whole thing where one plays, teams, yeah. one plays 24, two plays 23, and that type of deal. And then it just kind of goes on along the along the list. And that's how you do idea. it. That might not be a bad idea because you can't say, oh, the region's messed up. And that's the reason why we lost was because our region is chock full of good yeah. teams. You're playing the worst team in the playoffs, and you're just yeah. kind of going back and forth with that. It would make or, travel a little gross, though. But yeah, but still. then you can't then it's just like if I was on the committee and I made that decision, I'd just be like, well. Do you want a stacked region? Because then you kind of have to toss that around. Because, right. but I'd say you just gotta figure out a set regions for states. That's like max two, three states for travel. Like that's however many you gotta go. Because if we play Minnesota State, you just gotta go through Wisconsin and then you're in Michigan. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's another nine hour drive through that UP sure, and then go sure. down. But you can. But it's a lot better than Northwest Missouri State having to go from Missouri through Iowa through Illinois, through Indiana, then to Michigan, all the way up to Allendale. And it's a lot better for Pittsburgh, who's from Nebraska, basically doing the same thing. Right, exactly. We're not trying to make Fair State's road easier. That's not what we're doing. It's more we're just making giving, it so it... Yeah, sorry. I oh, no, no, thought. you're good. You're, you're on the same throughout process as I am. We're giving these other teams that are championship caliber teams the fair advantage that they should have in this situation in comparison to unbalanced throughout the other brackets. Dream. That's, that's what we're saying. What's your dream final four? Uh, if we, if this was like a reseed, what would you want to have? In the uh, final Grand four? Grand Valley Ferris in the title game. Duh. That would have been sick. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, th- that would have been awesome. Uh, if you would, or if keeping in the same brackets or the top four teams, like if you were, so like if it was just like a Cinderella thing, like, I could pick four, just random, pick four teams. random teams out of the whole champ in the, oh. out of the whole playoffs to be in the top four. Okay, well, of course, uh, Ferris. Yep. Uh, I would love Grand Valley on the other side just because it obviously bring intrigue. Um, I would say I would I would think that there would be a very interesting game to see. Um, I wouldn't put Shepard in there. No disrespect to Shepard, but I think they're too offensive heavy. Then they get yeah, exposed they are, like they, they have the yeah. last two years in the well, semifinal. Yeah, game. exactly, exactly. Um, I think if you look at some of the other teams in the bottom portion of the bracket. Um, I think I would have loved to see Angelo make it because I think defensively that team was very underrated. I think they would have been fantastic to watch. Uh, and I think really when you look at what Delta state did, I think that would have been a really good team to see in the, in the final, they just really slipped up against West Florida and West Florida took care of the rest and they would have made it. And I would argue that they could have possibly, uh, gave a run over there in, I mean, they would have probably 
uh, still would have probably played us in that situation. I think if you yeah. still did the reseeding, so they might have made semi. But they're a really good team too. I would have loved to see what they would have did. So uh, I guess there you go. I would take Angelo State with Delta State um, as well as us in Grand Valley. But if I had to pick one from the top quadrant, I would probably pick Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I think they were really good. I think they're a really good underranked team. I wouldn't have probably taken Ashland or Assumption. I don't think those teams are yeah. uh, powerful enough, as you could see in the bracket as it ended up. But uh, yeah, those would have been probably the, the four teams I would have picked there as I just picked five. But you know, you know the drift. So I would have liked to see kind of the same. I would like to see us, Grand Valley. I would have put Pitt State in School of Mines. Because what I would like to see was Ooh, probably keep Pitt yeah. State with us on one side and then see a rematch from the start of the year with Mines and Grand Valley. That would have been I feel cool. like that would have been a sick one. I like but that. that would, obviously, that wouldn't have ever happened. But that would have been cool just to see Grand Valley like at the start or something like that. It kind of If we lost and Grand Valley played Colorado School of Mines, you know how cool that would have been? Yeah. And if Mines upset Grand Valley, yeah, that beat would be, Grand Valley, that would the be revenge crazy. they've lost from the first game of the year, that would have been that would have been Wild. storybook or Grand Valley takes care of business again. And then, oh my gosh, that, that would, that would be a really for cool. the proves. Yeah. I would have loved to also see, I would have loved to see Northwest Missouri state play Pitt state again. I would have liked that too. I would have loved that to see that been again. A cool game. That, that would have been a really good game in the playoffs. I think that would have been really fun as well. And I would have loved to play Grand Valley, of course, because those games are always fun, too much fun, you know, uh, regardless of outcome, just environment, I would have been just environment. It's amazing. I would have been interested to see like a Angelo state versus West Florida, how that would have gone. Yeah, that would have been interesting. You would have seen a lot of, uh, you would see Angelo state really schemat- schematically trying to dissect yeah. that West Florida offense. And that would have been very interesting to watch. So mm-hmm. there's some hypotheticals. Hopefully we get this all straightened out. So we have a level playing field going into the next yeah, year, but hey, if not prove we can do it, we can do it again. Congrats. 2022 Ferris state football national champions, boys. You did it. So incredibly proud of you guys. And it's been an honor to cover you as well. It's Absolutely. been a great, great road all the way through. Who would have thought, especially at when we came to this school in 2019, that we'd experienced two national championships for football and going down to Texas. That would have been, I would have never thought that. No, I would have been like, stuff. and I'm going to have to take my own trip to Texas one day, but it <laughs> turns out the boys did it. I got a paid trip there and two I paid can't trips. thank them. Two paid trips. That's true. Yes, sir. We both got two paid trips. I got I, mine pay, partially paid for. I didn't take the fan bus. That's so. true. You probably made the smart decision. On yeah, that that's call. true. Uh, I didn't get a per diem though. So yeah, that is nice. So uh, shout out to the torch for helping us make that shout dream out. really come to life. Never thought I'd cover two national championships, let alone one, let Never. alone one win, let alone two wins. Yeah, that's insane. Can't say enough. Thank yous to all those guys. Thanks for Jordan Jones coming on the show um, with that phone interview. We appreciate him coming on to give his two cents on the game as well. It was a great season all the way around for gridiron fans all over uh, the state of Michigan cheering on Ferris State football. It's been fun. So that's going to do it for the wrap up here. The national championship episode. We wish you the rest of the good year. More episodes on deck here soon. Uh, but it's going to be great, Joe. Can't wait for a new year of content. And it's just going to be a great time to be a first day Bulldog when we turn into 2023. Absolutely. Take care, everybody.